Utility ComEd is seeking a four-year rate hike, totaling $1.5 billion. And I'll talk with Cranes reporter Ali Marathi to discuss how the co-founders of Gold Coast Steakhouse, Maple and Ash, have settled their 10-month-long court battle and how they plan to divvy up their nationwide restaurant portfolio. The cracks for the average consumer didn't show initially. Through this all, Maple and Ash, which is one of their biggest cash cows, continued operating. It was a lot of an under-the-surface kind of back and forth between these two, I think. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Wednesday, January 18th. At Wintrust Community Banks, you're more than just another account number. No matter your stage of life, Wintrust's dependable bankers are as dedicated to your financial success as you are. After three decades of serving communities across Chicagoland, Wintrust has built its reputation on exceptional customer satisfaction and a strong local presence. That's why Wintrust is proud to be ranked number one in customer satisfaction in retail banking in Illinois by J.D. Power. Visit Wintrust.com slash J.D. Power to learn more about Wintrust's award-winning banking experience. Members FDIC. For J.D. Power 2022 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. I'm joined by Cranes reporter Ali Marathi. So the Maple and Ash co-founders have settled their lawsuit. That's been going on for about 10 months or so. What can you tell me about this, this lawsuit and how it's been settled, what it, where it all stands now? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Amy. This is a lawsuit that, like you said, it's been going on for 10 months, if not more. Um, just to refresh the memories here, it was uh, the co-owners, Jim Lasky and David Pizer, that originally Pizer sued Lasky, um, alleging that Lasky had locked him out of corporate offices and disabled electronic access to financial reports um, after he demanded to sell his stake. So since then, they've been in court, they've gone back and forth, they've leveled new allegations against each other. There are accusations of secret bank accounts and default notices from landlords. It just kept piling and piling. So what happened recently is that they've settled The financial terms were not disclosed, but as for the restaurant portfolio, they're basically divvying that up. And this is a restaurant portfolio that stretched across the country. So Jim Lasky will go with chef partner Danny Grant, who also owned one-third stake in the company but was not involved in the lawsuit. Those two will retain ownership and operational control of Maple and Ash, which has, you know, locations here in the Gold Coast, and then there's a Scottsdale, Arizona location. So they'll also take Italian restaurant Monarch and Sushi and Saki Lounge Kisaku, and both of those are in Dallas. And then they will also be able to control any future opportunities for those brands. So in other words, if they want to open additional locations, they can do that under those um, those brand names. So then David Pizer will um, join forces with chef partner Daniel Peretta, who also has not been involved in the suit at all. Those two will take ownership and control of the Etta brand, which has locations in River North and Bucktown in Chicago and Culver City, California, also Scottsdale. And then they'll also take control of Cafe Sophie in Chicago. They will form a new venture, which will have a new name, which we don't know yet. So there may be more to come here. Now, Cafe Sophie in Chicago is one that throughout the course of this lawsuit, a couple restaurants in this portfolio closed and Cafe Sophie was one of them. So there are plans to reopen that and get that going again. 
we'll have to keep an eye on where they go with this. What will be the name of the new entity? Will they open new restaurants kind of right out of the gate? Or will they take a while to reestablish things? You know, just reading through the court documents over the course of the past almost year, there have been a lot of allegations around financial mismanagement. So I think this is going to be where the rubber meets the road and we'll be able to see what that means for the restaurants operationally. Yeah. Where did the cracks first start to show? So it was really in March when Pizer first sued Lasky in Cook County Circuit Court. And we saw some of these allegations start to come out. And then the cracks started spreading, right? Like Cafe Sophie was open. I can't remember exactly how long, but for a very short time before it closed, there were default notices from landlords at some of these restaurants around the country coming in because there were a lot of allegations and issues with access to the finances. I mentioned the secret bank accounts, you know, there were people not getting paid allegedly, there were funds being moved around to different bank accounts allegedly. So as part of that, you know, I saw a lot of documents in uh, the court filings that would indicate landlords weren't getting paid. The cracks for the average consumer didn't show initially. Through this all, Maple and Ash, which is one of their biggest cash cows, continued operating. It was a lot of an under-the-surface kind of back and forth between these two, I think. There was also, I should mention, another lawsuit that kind of came out from investors that were worried about mismanagement of their dividends, essentially, and their investments. That lawsuit was combined with this one, and that is not part of the settlement. So that will keep going. There apparently have been settlement discussions, but nothing has been decided on yet. So we could see a little bit more news out of this eventually. So let's back way up pre-lawsuit. Tell me about this restaurant group, how they first formed and how long they've been around. So it's called What If Syndicate, and it first formed in 2015, I believe, when the two partners opened Maple and Ash. That grew to become one of the state's top-grossing state houses. It was Pizer and Lasky's first venture together. The original complaint said revenue for the parent company was expected to reach $200 million in 2022. So I have not seen updated finances. Those numbers are typically not released, but sometimes they are revealed in court documents. Um, that's pretty big. And when you see these lists of you know the country's top grossing steakhouses, Maple and Ash is typically on there. And that one, I mentioned it's in the Gold Coast, but the location is significant as well. It's right there kind of by what we call the Viagra Triangle, and it is a really interesting contrast to some of the old school Italian steakhouses that are around that Mariano Park Triangle there in the Gold Coast. So it's kind of this new modern vibe steakhouse compared to some of those more old school locations. And that whole area, which we've talked about before, is getting an upgrade because we're also seeing nearby car mines. Tavern on Rush. Uh, the ownership is changing hands there. That that restaurant shut down. There's going to be another one opening in its place. So Maple and Ash, though it was originally a newcomer in that area, I think it was a little bit of a trendsetter because we're seeing some of these big renovations that are going to happen over the next year or so. Right. And so in a way, they'll kind of be this, uh, not stronghold, but they'll be kind of one that has been there a while as all this change is happening around them. Right. Almost a veteran. Yeah. You know, there was also Morton's. Uh, the original Morton's location was right there and that shut down during the pandemic. I'm not sure if anything has gone in there yet. And even Gibson's, which, you know, is a, a mainstay on that triangle. They're talking about doing some renovations because they got to keep up with the Joneses a little bit here as well. So as for the partners that, that did make up Maple and Ash, where are they leaving things? 
They both put out individual statements, basically expressing relief that the disagreement had been resolved. And both of them, interestingly, you know, said that they were excited about the opportunity to keep expanding, build a new collection of restaurants, et cetera. So it sounds like, you know, if they can get their finances in order, we're going to see more restaurants out of these two. So that is something I will definitely be keeping an eye on. All right, Allie, always a pleasure. I'm sure we'll be talking about plenty more of, uh, of new restaurants opening up and how restaurants are shifting in that area and beyond. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Coming up, Alamo Drafthouse Cinema plans to open its first Chicago location in Wrigleyville in the week ahead. We'll talk about that and more right after this. This coming February, Crane's Chicago business relaunches its executive education program in leadership development, custom designed to hone the leadership skills of executives across the Chicagoland area. We're pleased to bring you new programming from Crane's Leadership Academy designed and taught by renowned faculty from Chicago Booth School of Business. The program will benefit mid and senior level executives from the Chicagoland area across various sectors and industries who seek to heighten their leadership skills for success during these uncertain times. Sessions will be held at the Gleacher Center in downtown Chicago from February 24th through March 24th, 2023, every Friday from 9 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. A certificate of completion from Chicago Booth and Cranes will be provided. For questions about the program, visit cranesacademy.com or email cranesacademy at crane.com. This is the Cranes Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Crane Steve Daniels reported citing a Securities and Exchange Commission filing that ComEd plans to file Tuesday with state regulators to hike its delivery rates by more than $1.5 billion over four years, starting in 2024. The multi-year rate plan, authorized under the landmark Climate and Equitable Jobs Act, would boost ComEd's revenue by nearly 50 percent over that period of time if approved as submitted, that according to the filing by ComEd parent company Exelon. Daniels noted in reporting that the numbers are well above the historically high rate hikes ComEd obtained under the 2011 formula rate law, which permitted the utility to change its delivery rates annually under a formula that essentially removed the ordinary authority the Illinois Commerce Commission has to set utility rates. In 2024 alone, ComEd aims to hike its delivery rates by 894 million of that overall number, but still by far the steepest one-year rate increase that the utilities ever sought. After that, rates would go up by an average of $189 million annually through 2027. In a release, ComEd said its plans would increase average monthly household electric bills by $4.25 annually, or $17 over the four-year period. The average bill is now $93, making for an 18% increase over that period. University of Illinois Chicago faculty went on strike Tuesday morning after they failed to reach a contract agreement with administration during a marathon bargaining session that ran late Monday night. Crane's Brandon Dupree reported that after nine months of negotiating, the union said it's following through with its proposed strike as the two sides remain, quote, far apart on issues of compensation. 
The union is also fighting for visa assistance for international faculty, what was described as clear testing commitments for students with disabilities, and more transparency for non-tenure-track faculty, among other points. That according to the co-chair of the University of Illinois Chicago United Faculty Bargaining Team, who spoke with Cranes. UIC United Faculty represents more than 1,400 full-time tenured and non-tenured faculty members at UIC. In a message from UIC administration, the school said the two sides still had, quote, five outstanding contract items and that both parties have agreed to resume negotiations on Wednesday. The administrators wrote, quote, This work stoppage is disappointing and not in the best interest of the university or our students. However, UIC fully respects the rights of its employees under the Illinois Educational Labor Relations Act and other applicable laws. Dupree noted that Monday's meeting marked the 31st bargaining session between the two sides. He also reported that talks over a new contract with the administration began in April, and faculty have now gone since August without a contract. In November, union members voted overwhelmingly to authorize a strike if contract talks continued to stall. The last contract was settled in 2019, the evening before a strike was to take place. Advocate Healthcare, the Chicago area's largest health system, plans to open a new outpatient center in Lincoln Park. Crane's Catherine Davis reported that the health system, part of Advocate Health since the late 2022 merger of Advocate Aurora Health and Atrium Health, detailed plans for the new $42 million center in a recent application filed with the Illinois Health Facilities and Services Review Board, which, she noted, has to approve the project. If approved, Advocate intends to open the 41,000-square-foot facility in a shopping center on the 1400 block of West Webster Avenue in the complex that's home to Barnes & Noble and Regal cinema locations. According to its application, Advocate will offer primary care and specialty care services. It will also offer immediate care, physical therapy, lab, and imaging services. If approved, Advocate expects the project to be complete in April of 2025. As Davis also noted in reporting, Advocate is just the latest large health system to propose plans for a new outpatient center. Many hospital chains, including Northwestern Medicine and Rush University System for Health, have been expanding their outpatient strategies as they aim to reach more patients across Chicago neighborhoods and suburbs. Northwestern revealed plans for an $83 million outpatient center in Oak Brook last year, and Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago is planning to bring a $56 million outpatient care center to Schaumburg. Rush just opened a new 10-story $450 million outpatient facility on the 1500 block of West Harrison Street, where it will provide cancer, neuroscience, and digestive disease care. Davis also noted in reporting that Advocate's application to build the new Lincoln Park Outpatient Center comes shortly after its parent organization, Advocate Aurora Health, finalized its merger with Charlotte, North Carolina-based Atrium Health in a deal that created the fifth largest nonprofit health system in the country and consolidated the combined system's headquarters to Charlotte. Before the deal, Advocate Aurora Health was co-headquartered in Downers Grove and in Milwaukee. Despite the headquarters move, Advocate Health said it intends to maintain a strong organizational presence in both Chicago and Milwaukee, and said it has plans to expand in Milwaukee with a new Institute for Health Equity. According to its website, Advocate Health operates 67 hospitals across the country, 10 of which are in Illinois. 
Crane's Ali Marathi reported that Alamo Drafthouse Cinema is opening its first Chicago location in Wrigleyville next week, complete with an 80s video store-themed cocktail bar. The Dine-In Movie Theater, which is set to open January 27th, will be the 39th location for Alamo Drafthouse. The company opened its first theater in Austin, Texas in 1997 and, as Marathi noted in reporting, built up its reputation nationally as a place that served mostly from scratch food and local beer during screenings. Founder and executive chairman Tim League told Cranes that the upcoming location at 3519 North Clark will have six theaters and a standalone cocktail bar. The bar, called Video Vortex, will give off old-school video rental store vibes and include art installations. It'll also have an actual video store where customers can rent DVDs and VHS tapes at no charge. The theater will employ about 130 people. League also told Cranes that the Wrigleyville location was already built and ready to go as Cinemark Theaters had built the space, but the COVID-19 pandemic thwarted their opening plans. Marathi noted in reporting that the initial two years of the pandemic was a rough time for movie theater revenue. Customers, reluctant to sit next to strangers in an enclosed room for hours, opted to stream new releases at home. AMC Entertainment reported a net loss of $4.6 billion in 2020, and Bloomberg reported that more than 600 cinemas across the country remained closed two years into the pandemic. Marathi also noted that though many theaters have reopened, the pandemic seems to still be impacting the industry. For example, many films are still released on streaming channels in tandem with theater debuts. League told Cranes that Alamo Drafthouse revenue is about 75 to 80 percent of 2019 levels, but he also said he's optimistic and said the slate of films set to be released in the year ahead is promising, saying, quote, I'm of the mindset that streaming is not our enemy. Our real competitors are comedy clubs or other restaurants or live music, things that you go out of the home for. He continued by saying, we're an out-of-home experience, and I think those are alive and well. That's Crane's Daily just for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's reporter, Ali Marathi. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.